Hello, this is international football commentator Derek Ray, and you're listening to the Ranks FC podcast. Rank Squad and welcome to Ranks FC. It's your favourite football podcast back for another week. My name is Jack Collins and I will be your host today. And joining me is the Rank God, Mr. Sam Tai. Hello, mate. Hello, mate. And of course, our transfer guru, Mr. Dean Jones. Hello, mate. Hello, boys. How are we? How are we doing? I'm Thank good. You. Yeah, I'm just thinking to myself, do you reckon we've reached the stage yet where we don't need to be introduced with our surnames? Yeah, I reckon probably. we might have. I reckon yeah. we, we might be there. Yesterday on the Patreon, obviously, Jack was not here for it. Very rare occasion. Yeah. Um, and Sam just started chatting, like saying, right, you're here with Sam and Dean. And I was like, yeah, we, we don't need surnames anymore. Everybody knows who we are. Well, there you go. You, were the, you, got, you, got, recognized in a, you got recognized in Waterloo. Got recognized it, in nice Waterloo moment. and it actually turned out to be a patron because uh, Jamie gave us a shout in the patron uh, comments on, on Monday's show. So we had a chat there. But yeah, I was walking through Waterloo Station. Somebody starts shouting me, Dean Jones, Ranks FC. <laughs> okay, <laughs> hi. <laughs> no, it was good. Oh, more people, please do that. More people um, look for me and shout at me. Someone called Henry came up to me in Seville and was like, yeah? you're Jack? And I was like, yes, Sam. I was like, what a day this is. This is lovely. Uh, Lucy was, was like, Lucy was like, oh, God. You're not going to shut up about this, are you? And I yeah, was like, yeah. no, I am not. Yeah, um, so nice. I talk about my, my followers as my fans. <laughs> <laughs> that's because they're not. Oh, we don't <laughs> like, they, have like they have to like you to be fans. Yeah, but it winds her up, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, right, well, today we're going to be talking about the Ballon d'Or because there have been some changes and no longer are we going to have to worry about the annual year thing because ultimately every year it gets to December, it gets to January, and we're trying to work out who the players of the last calendar year were. And that's incredibly distraught. You know, it's not one of those things that you can look at and think, this is easy. This is easy to measure. You have to do with manual counting. No more. No more. The Ballon d'Or is moving to a seasonal thing. Sam Ty's face is just one of pure relief. <laughs> so a couple of months before the award is given out, we are going to be taking a look at the contenders and the front runners so far. But before we do that, it's time for Things We Love. Dean, why don't you start us off? Yeah, I mean, you two are probably going really niche, so I probably should start us off just to just to make sure that this podcast remains relevant for at least the next five minutes. Um, look, lads, the thing I love at the moment is Aaron Ramsdale. Like, what a goalkeeper and what a top lad he is. Um, I say top lad, we share a barber, so that's why I think he's a top lad. Um, but Aaron Ramsdale as a goalkeeper is brilliant and he's proving to be an unbelievable buy for Arsenal. Look, a lot of people were confused about why Arsenal were trying to sign him. They already had a burnt Leno and he was a good goalkeeper, but they spent £24 million on a new one and it's actually a bargain because Aaron Ramsdale is amazing. Against Leicester at the weekend, he was brilliant and Brendan Rodgers afterwards said he's the best goalkeeper in England. Um, he made... Good saves again, a particularly good one to deny. I think it was Harvey Barnes. Um, he always seems in every match to pull out something spectacular. Um, and it's usually for good reason. He's not just doing it for show. Like he's just 
genuinely making good stops. Now, he's actually only ever made one appearance for England, and that was against San Marino. But it'll be interesting now to see if he actually gets a chance to make himself England's number one for the World Cup. Because, look, at this moment in time, Jordan Pickford is England's number one, and he's heading towards the championship at a pretty rapid pace with Everton. And you've got Ramsdale, who's helping Arsenal towards the Champions League. I think he's been brilliant. Um, I think I can barely remember a bad game that he's had. Even when he makes an error, seems to put it behind him very quickly. He's got a strong mentality. So yeah, I'm just loving this lad. Love seeing him absolutely thrive at Arsenal. And let's see where this leads. Yeah, I mean, Sam, there were some questions about Ramsdale, weren't they, before this happened? Not necessarily in terms of his shot-stopping ability, but just whether Arsenal needed him, as, as, as Dean kind of alluded to there. Um, and there was lots of things going on. The only thing I would say in, in terms of that England number one debate and is that Jordan Pickford, whilst having an I would say indifferent season for Everton, uh, poor, poor to indifferent, you'd probably say. Um, he hasn't really ever made any massive mistakes for England. He's never really done anything to warrant being dropped. And that does kind of play into things when you're thinking about who gets that number one shirt, especially in a World Cup year. Yeah, I mean, ultimately, in a scenario like an England setup, it's your shirt to lose and the player should probably have to do something to lose it. Um, there are a couple of English players who currently look like they are losing their shirts, but Jordan Pickford isn't one of them. So it does create an interesting conundrum, as Dean says. I, di- I did see a, quite a good tweet actually the other day, which was like, Jordan, um, Aaron Ramsdale has one cap for England, just one cap, yet it is almost inconceivable that he will not be starting for us at the World Cup. Like, it's just one of those weird scenarios where you're just like, we're probably barreling towards this conclusion, as Dean suggests. And yet he only has one cap and it's against San Marino. There's like, there's almost no grounds for it. And yet you kind of feel like it's totally and utterly inevitable. It's really weird. But back in the summer, obviously, we did question this. Um, I think he was a better shot stopper than, than most gave him credit for uh, at Bournemouth. But they spent about four to five weeks chasing Aaron Ramsdale and they did already have Bert Leno. It did feel like a lot of effort. And we did question whether or not spending five weeks of your window chasing a goalkeeper when you had obvious issues elsewhere was a good use of time. Look, in the end, it turned out to be an excellent use of time because not only did they fill those other positions, signing the likes of Tommy Asu late on, but they also picked up a really stellar keeper. And did I do disagree a little bit? Like he, I think he does do some things for show. Like there's yeah. definitely a theatrical element to his game. Um, and he makes uh, quite standard saves sometimes look a little bit more Hollywood but ultimately, he's doing the business, so it doesn't really matter either way, right? Yeah, I mean, the problem you get with with people making things look theatrical is they worry so much about you know how it's looking that they end up pushing the ball, you know, not not to safety. Basically, they push it back into a danger zone, or or they just lose focus on on where the ball's heading on the rebound. But um, Ramsdale typically will put the ball out of play um, with relative ease. So yeah, maybe you're right, but look, I like him. It he looks good anyone. to me. He does look good. He's definitely the old form England keeper. So there's that to consider. Talking of form England players who might be due a call up, Tyrek Mitchell's making a big old case for himself at left back. That's my big takeaway from the weekend's action. He absolutely brilliant against Manchester City. I thought he was stellar uh, left back against, you know, a basic kind of rotating cast of Mares. Uh, Carl Walker and Kevin De Bruyne dropping into the slots. I thought he had an absolute stormer. So uh, one there to be looking at in terms of England call-ups, especially um, with, with Chilwell's injury and, and Luke Shaw not having the best season you know, that he's having at the moment. So, yeah, an interesting one. Uh, right, Sam, on to you. 
Okay, the thing I love this week is Gleison Bremer, 24-year-old Brazilian centre-back at Torino. Very on brand for me to be loving this kind of thing. And I've definitely not stopped talking about Bremer for the last like three weeks. So apologies to you, Dean, and to you, Jack. But we need to bring this guy to a wider audience because every time I watch him play, and I'm not the first person to say this, he's unbelievable. Like, he's so good. And on Sunday, once again, he was brilliant against one of the very best teams in Italy. Torino held Inter to a 1-1 draw, frustrated the hell out of them. It took a 94th minute Alexis Sanchez effort to go in off the post that clipped off the goalkeeper to get a point for Inter. Bremer scored the goal for Torino to open the scoring and he was brilliant throughout defensively. Absolutely amazing. He completely nullified Dzeko and Lautaro. And it was only last month that he completely nullified Dusan Vlavic. Newly signed for Juventus, came in hot, scored on his debut, was looking unbeatable. And Bremer just pocketed him, just went 1v1 across the pitch, just followed him around and didn't let him participate in the game of football. It was absolutely amazing. Honestly, every time I watch him, he's man of the match. And at 24, it's his third season in Serie A, third full season. He's really starting to grow into his prime. Six foot one, really good athleticism, good mobility, good agility. He's got a really nice blend of being able to drop in like a Van Dyke and sort of force a mistake or step up, sense an opportunity to anticipate. He reads situations in the game so, so well. I would be so surprised, guys, if Juve and Inter haven't come out of these two respective games in the last month thinking... We should probably sign that guy. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, That's going to be my way. next question, actually. Like, so where's he <laughs> heading? <laughs> well, the, the big question mark hanging over him is not, okay, I, th- I think he's good enough to play for any of those teams, to be honest with you. The big question mark is compatibility in a back four. Now, this wouldn't bother Inter, who traditionally use a back three, uh, but for some, for a team that wants to use a back four, can, can those skills translate? He does travel across the pitch, guys. He does move around quite a lot. Um, like he, in the back three, plays in the centre and because he knows he's got two guys either side of him, he sort of steps out or drops in or moves left or moves right. He, he, he's quite, he covers quite a lot of ground for a mm. central centre-back. There's quite a lot of freedom to that role, which makes him quite peculiar. How does that translate to a back four? How does that translate to a different league? I don't know. But mm. if I'm Inter, right, and I consistently see rumours about you know, Stefan de Rye moving on and stuff like that, I'd just be looking at, at, at Bremer. I'd be looking at yeah. putting him in, into the middle of my back three and going, right, next generation, let's go. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense, actually. Uh, Tottenham's yeah. still looking at DeVore as well. So, um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, nice if, Conte, if Conte is at Tottenham next season, then I would not be surprised to look and see that that, that DeVore move happen. Yeah. Um, and then if Inter, if if that does happen, Inter just straight to, for Bremer. He's he's excellent. Yeah, he does feel like a natural fit there. So, so I agree yep. with you in that regard. Um, another massive performance from him. Uh, talking of man of the match performances, I want to come on to my thing I love. Obviously, this weekend, I went to see Betis. Hey. Uh, it was all very exciting. Hey. I, had a time. Time. I had a wonderful <laughs> time as Betis. Ten-man Betis, you should say. Um, ten-man Betis beat Athletic Club 1-0. Um, yeah. It was Fekir got remarkable. sent off in the 80th minute, mate. Come on. Fekir got sent off. Right. So I want to start with this before I come to the actual thing I love. Fekir got sent off because he was kicked to death for the entire game. He it was like it was death. like 
it was like athletic athletic basically did the thing sam that we talk about often is they just rotated who was going to kick fekir Um, every time he got the ball and he could see he was starting to get frustrated because at one point he started doing kick-ups over players and he was like you know trying to invite fouls because he was that frustrated with the fact that he was just being you know absolutely bludgeoned every time he got the ball um but at one point he obviously got to his head and he lashes out gets a straight red it is a straight red i think anyone's going to complain about the actual red card being given but the treatment he received the lack of protection that skilled players get from referees in Spain it is really quite something um, because it, it just got to a point where you knew every time he got the ball he was going to be fouled and and yet the, the yellow cards were not particularly forthcoming uh, from the referee uh, Fekir took matters into his own hands which is never a particularly good idea um, but Betis saw out the win anyway a goal from the panda Borja Iglesia uh, the man from Santiago de Compostela uh, saw the win so that was good um, but basically I want to talk about Paul now, Paul is an Ivorian centre midfielder, Paul Akuoko. Um, He is 24 years old and he's one of Betis's, I would say, least used players this year. I think the only players who have had less minutes than Paul, outfielders, um, have been Diego Lainez. Uh, and Camarasa, who is still recovering from a long-term injury. Um, so, he, you know, he, in the last couple of games, Pellegrini has started to put Paul up. Now, when he signed uh, for Betis from Ekenias in Finland, he was put into the reserves. He played a little bit in, in, in the Tercera um, and eventually was promoted to the first team. But we haven't seen that much of him. Paul had his breakout moment and I got to see it live in the flesh and I was unbelievably pleased about it. He was everywhere in a double pivot with Guido Rodriguez. He just was. And we, we spoke about sixes obviously last week and we talked about players in this pivot. Um, and for years, we've called Danilo Pereira the octopus because he used to just get his foot in everywhere. Whenever, you know, it felt like a team, whether it be against Porto, whether it be against Portugal, whether it be against PSG of late, whenever a player seemed to get past Danilo Pereira, he'd just stick a foot in and somehow a long limb would, you know, come out and, and, and retrieve the ball. Paul the octopus was reborn <laughs> on Sunday at the Benito Villa Marine. Um, nice. And it was amazing to see. It just a player really coming to his own. Unfortunately, he got a cramp about the 85th minute and oh. had to go off. So he didn't quite see the game out. But very much my man of the match. And, you know, in a, in a place where Betis are quite strong in, in that midfield pivot, Guido's there, obviously Edgar's there, uh, Guardado plays there a little bit. Canales can drop into the pivot as well. We've seen a bit more of that, less under Pellegrini, but we've seen it in, in years gone by. Um, Paul really made a case for himself and uh, he's been a player that I was quite intrigued by since he got promoted to the first team and was like, I'll have the number four shirt, please. And everyone was like, all right, mate. Um, and, <laughs> but yeah, absolutely sensational at the weekend. So good to see uh, and a real player that I'm going to be keeping an eye on for the rest of the season. So shout out Paul the Octopus. Uh, really, really good to see. And that on, was my Paul. thing, my love. Was niche, mate, but it was good. Yeah, it's all right. On, I'll come, we'll come back. Stop we'll that. come back to Seville later. We'll, yeah, we'll come you want to hear to more about your trip? So yeah, um, I've got I've got special gibberish at the end of this episode, all about well, one particular aspect of my holiday in Seville. So uh, we will get to that later. Um, but right now, it's time to get onto our main ranking. After the break, we're going to be talking all things Ballon d'Or. Don't go anywhere. Welcome back to Ranks FC. It's time for our main ranking. And Santai, the floor is yours. Yeah, it's time to talk Ballon d'Or. Historically, one of my least favourite subjects, but there's been a rule change. France football has stepped forward and done the right thing. They've made the logical decision of changing the parameters of the award. And as you said earlier, Jack, the smile on my face 
the toothy grin that I was sporting. Unbelievable. I just wish they'd done it five years earlier. It would have made my life much more difficult. Wouldn't have anywhere near as much stress through my late 20s. But here we are. The Ballon d'Or is now a seasonal award for years up until this point. It has been a calendar year award. God knows why. The European football season runs from August all the way through to May. The international tournaments finish up in July, just award it in July. Finally, they've seen the light and they've done it. Now, as welcome as this news is, I do find it pretty funny that the year that they have chosen to realign this award with the European season is the one year, the one year in which it actually would have made sense to do it on an annual basis because we have the first ever Winter World Cup. <laughs> That's so true. <laughs> which is absolutely ridiculous. Yeah. And I think it does underline the fact that this process is run by total morons. But at the end of the day, <laughs> Positive reform, I'm not going to sniff at it. But all of a sudden, out of the blue, the goalposts have basically been moved for Europe's top footballers. A lot of them probably thought that, yes, they had obviously the rest of the season and you know the Champions League is hugely important in that. But failing that, they might have a World Cup window to kind of repair their, their, their case to win the Ballon d'Or. That's gone. That's gone. It's basically mm. Champions League now. There's no summer international tournament at the top level in the men's game. So this is it. You've got, the, you've got two months to prove your case. And all of a sudden, we take into account everything that's happened this season, not just since the turn of the year. So let's set that scene. Let's take a look at the top five contenders as we stand. And then after this, we can have a look at the, the nearlies and the, the slight misses and what can possibly change. So number five, I've gone a bit rogue, boys. I've gone a bit rogue. I'm excited to see your faces as I name number five, Christopher and Kunku. Oh, good man. Of RB Leipzig. Now, look, come June, fair enough, when the votes are flying in, Nkunku probably is not in contention for this award because he's not in contention to win the Champions League. RB Leipzig didn't make it through the group of Man City and PSG. But right now, with the Champions League only at the quarterfinal stage, judging everything we've seen so far, I'd say we're in a situation where we've got a pretty clear top four and a bit of a wide open goal for number five. So why not genuinely reward and respect the player who has had an absolutely outrageous, phenomenal individual season so far? And that has been Christopher Nkunku. He's got 26 goals this season. He's basically just transformed himself into a full-on striker and he's got at least 10 assists. I think it's 12 with the DFB Pokal, but it's bit dodgy on the stats there depending on the provider. I can barely believe this man's transformation. Like we were all in Kunku fans, but you know, I remember the days when he was a number eight. That was only about a year ago. And now he's he's almost anything but. He's an inverted winger. He's a second forward. And honestly, at the moment, the number the goals he's scoring, like he's, go, he's running in behind. He's going around the keeper, the composure, the assured finishes. He's scoring headers. I, I can scarcely believe this is the same player. I really, really can't. The secret and the underlying threat is the ball striking. And Kunku's ball striking is so clean and so pure. He can hit it hard. He can hit it low. He can power them. He can finesse them. And now that he's developed that composure in front of goal, he's just on an absolute mission. Free kicks, he can do him. He now scores brilliant penalties as well. Hat-trick against Man City away from home in the Champions League. Five braces this year. 26 goals and counting. You know what? Leipzig as well, they could win the Pokal. They're probably the strongest team left in that tournament because you know, Dortmund and Bayern are out and Leverkusen are too. They're in with a shout with the Europa League. You never I was know. Say, well, they're, they're in the quarterfinals, aren't they? Because they've been given a pass. 
against yeah, Spartak. So, that yeah. won't happen. So so therefore they're into the Europa League uh, yeah, quarterfinals, I'm, which is and and you'd say they're one of maybe the three four strongest teams in that competition as well. I'd I'd say so. Too. I mean, he could end the season with two trophies, two cups. All right, not the ideal, and it's not the Champions League. But and Kunku could, could legitimately score like thirty five goals this season and win two trophies, which is nuts. It's nuts. And it mm. speaks to the development he's had this season. I've been so impressed. And I just, there, there, were, there were a number of ways I could have gone with number five, but I felt like Nkunku on an individual level, that's ultimately what the Ballon d'Or is supposed to be about to an extent. I think he deserves the respect here. The problem you've got is you're asking them to respect form and and to the performances of a player. And they didn't do that last time when Mo Salah came seventh. So we need to see that, that the uh, process in terms of the voters is actually changing and then that these guys are being watched properly, right? Like you've had your eye in for a long time. Actually, it was one of the few things that Jesse Marsh actually got right at Leipzig was the beginning of the season. He identified Nkunku as the most important player in his team in terms of like, he needs, everything needs to run around him and through him. And ultimately he's, he's had a fantastic season and Leipzig are actually having a good season again now that, that Jesse Marsh has gone and they're back into those Champions League positions. But um, let's see, big time from Nkunku and, Probably going to end up back at PSG, I'd imagine. If it's not this year, probably the year after. You'd imagine that's the path he's going to be taking. Linked with a lot of clubs right now. Even Man United being linked with him. Not sure that's the path that he will be taking. But yeah, really interesting player. Yeah, I, I would quite like to see him as part of this Arteta Arsenal side as the nine. Part of me, part of me loves it, but um, but mm. I think that you, you've got to look at this and think: is he? He's already at a place where he's going to be, you know, in a, in the Champions League. He's going to be competing for trophies at Leipzig already. Does he need to move right now? And I don't know if the answer is yes, especially if the form he's in, he's, he's almost certainly going to be in the France squad for the, for the next World Cup. Maybe this is just a hold tight for a little while here, mate, and and put up these numbers for a couple. The seasons and then see what the next jump from there is before yeah. before any like kind of forced moves go through. We'll yeah, it's only PSG is the reason. I, I just wonder if he'd be tempted to go, but obviously he did come through at PSG mm. and he left there in uh, 2019. There's always that temptation to go back and prove yourself, isn't there? He's, he's what is he 24 or something? Um, 24. Yeah. At a time when PSG are probably going to be in transition and and some of those big names will be leaving, you just you just wonder if the emotion of going back to a place like that. Maybe PSG's, maybe PSG's long-term strategy should just be bring back all the players that they let go in there, like in those big years where you were like, yeah. what are you doing? Don't do yeah. that. Um, yeah. We just see a front two of, uh, of Nkunku and Moussa Diaby and everyone will be having <laughs> a great time. Maybe this you, is the way that PSG will finally win the Champions League. <laughs> yeah, I think so. Do, do you guys know how many caps he's got for France? Mm. You're going to say like one. He has zero cap. No, I was going to no, say, no. I can't remember him ever playing for <laughs> He's been in a squad though, hasn't he? Yeah, I think so. But he's got zero. He hasn't taken to the field for the senior side. It's absolutely incredible. Um, I mean, look, Deschamps has a really settled side and he's got he's got a good team and stuff. But like, he's um, he's he's very much making his breakthrough this season. And it does feel a little bit weird to put a player on like this high up on the Ballon d'Or radar and he hasn't made an appearance for a senior national team yeah, yet. But this true. is how quickly he stepped up his level. We're all still catching up with him. Yeah. Mm, yeah. No, I think it's going to be interesting at the very, very least series. Yeah. Um, we'll see if he can force his way in for that, for that World yeah. Cup. Um, right, let's go to number four then, shall we? Right, number four is Kylian Mbappe at PSG. We're oh, into the low. big guns now. Into low. the big guns now, yeah. I mean, again, individual level. <laughs> an individual level, he has been pretty much sparkling scored PSG's two goals 
against Real Madrid in the Champions League. And he, he was brilliant throughout both legs. He really was. First leg ripped through Carvajal. Second leg, goal disallowed, two goals disallowed. Finally scored one, had a couple saved and was a, was a constant menace. Um, he has consistently bailed PSG out of really difficult situations this season. They're going to win the league at a canter and it's because Mbappe usually in the last 15 minutes puts things right. A late goal, a match-defining cameo, whatever it is, he's tended to step up and he's definitely got that that clutch gene. It's 31 goals this season and 14 assists. It's pretty monstrous in terms of the output and the performances tally up as well. But ultimately, guys, I think we know the situation here. PSG's exit from the Champions League at the round of 16 stage is going to it's going to really hurt Mbappe's case for the Ballon d'Or because the guys that we have above him are going to be, well, at least in the quarterfinals and then trying to contend for that semi-final and final berth. So there's no World Cup for Mbappe to make up that ground because of the new voting window. So I think he might just miss out. And I think by the time we get to July, it would be like, yes, Mbappe was amazing. Actually, he might be the best player in the world. Genuinely, there's a case for that. But I don't think there'll be a case for him to even get on the podium of a one, two, three finish. He might miss out even on that. Mm. Right. This is the this is exactly what you're saying. It's the this is the fallout of the change of pace, right? This is this is all this is because mm. ultimately there's no Yes, he's going to win the league in France, and that's no mean feat because we've seen PSG lose it in in recent years, and and so he'll come away with a couple of trophies and an outstanding goal record. But as you say, what this does is it just heaps heaps pressure onto the Champions League in terms of who wins who wins mm. what, right? And and ultimately PSG have crashed out in the round of sixteen. Now it's not Mbappe's fault by any stretch of the imagination. Far from it. Yeah. Exactly, he was in fact the the person who, who did the most to stop that happening. But that's not going to hugely matter, I don't think, mm. when it comes to actually who wins this tournament. There's only one thing to bear in mind here because as part of the reform of the of the way that they're going to judge this and the fact it's come to just judge players over one full season rather than two half seasons is that France football did make it quite clear um, in among all the changes, they said more emphasis will now be placed on the performances of individual players rather than on trophies won by a player's team. And that will be the true test of it because you're right. Mbappe probably is the best player in Europe right now. How are they going to judge that? Like, how can they actually judge that if he's not in those latter stages of the Champions League playing in those biggest games of all? That's a, that's a new challenge, but it will be interesting to see whether they actually stick to that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, look, that's why Nkunku's in this list, because we've kind of put a little bit of that to side. Yes, he has the opportunity to win two trophies, but ultimately, pure individual level, Nkunku deserves to be in this conversation, as does Mbappe. I think it will cost him when it comes down to it. Yes, he could then go ahead and score in every single game for the rest of the season and win the league on trophy. Again, no mean feat. But um, if he's not there on the Champions League semi-final stage, scoring a hat-trick or scoring a brace or, or, or delivering that winning goal, th- he gets outweighed, doesn't he? Mm. It, unfortunately, he just gets, gets counter-punched by the others. And he could be unbelievable, unbelievable from now until the end of the season but he's got no more opportunities to do those unbelievable things on the very biggest stages. So again, yeah. it's a balancing process. Another reason to join Real Madrid. Well, very much <laughs> feels like that way, doesn't it? It does a bit though, doesn't it? That's the problem. It does a bit. Right, on to three, Sam. All right, number three, Robert Lewandowski of Bayern Munich. A man who probably sees himself on a revenge mission so epic 
he's basically Uma Thurman in Kill Bill. <laughs> nice. Because he's nice he ref. is he is owed a Ballon d'Or from 2020, and I'm still at some point expecting France football to retroactively retrospectively just just award him it because they didn't give it out they cancelled it we all disagree with that scenario all the football was played Bayern won the Champions League they won the treble Lewandowski was the best player give him the award Um, and he also came very close in 2021 and he missed out to Lionel Messi so France football made up an award called striker of the year to give to him (laughs) to make him happy frankly again striker of the year sounds like something you give an 11 year old for just taking part on a Saturday so he wasn't he wasn't happy with it let's put it that way (laughs) no he wasn't so here's the actual case for Lewandowski as we sit right now he's going to probably win the Bundesliga He's on 29 league goals with eight games to play. He's probably going to hit 40 for the, for the league. He won the German Super Cup. He has 12 in eight for the Champions League and he scored a hat-trick against Salzburg to lead Bayern into the quarterfinals How many goals is he on altogether? Uh, he's on, he's got 12, 29 and 2, 31, 40... 44, 45, something like that. 45 goals. It's, yeah. it's March. It's March. Yeah, yeah. yeah, it's a lot of goals. It is, I'll give him that. It's a lot of goals. Uh, <laughs> so again, he's looking. He's coming in with a pretty strong case. This is going to be a very familiar scenario. I'm going to say it a few times from here. A lot of this does still depend on Bayern Munich's ability to progress in the Champions League. A lot of this depends on the quarterfinal draw and the bracket if they do it again. I really hope they do so we can really assess this. But Lewandowski is going to get at least two more opportunities to do some incredible things on football's biggest club stage, which is the Champions League. And that just weights him slightly higher than someone like Mbappe, who was amazing in the round of 16 again as well, and puts him right in contention for this award. I've got him in a podium spot, top three. Mm. Yeah, look, that, that number of goals, just to put into context, like me and, me and Jack have been watching Mitrovic in the championship this season. He's got 35 goals and we're talking about it like it's groundbreaking. And it is in the championship. He's set a new goals record, right? But it, it seems unbelievable that every time he goes out there, he scores. He's played 34 championship games and scored 35 goals. And you're like, wow, this is amazing. But Lewandowski is out there playing at like a much higher level, doing it there year after year to the point where you actually expect it and don't really even raise your eyebrows at, at those numbers anymore because he's just doing it so regularly. Like that, That's how impressive this is. And you're right, at some point they need to make it up to him. He has to get this award. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we can't do this. We had this exact discussion last year, right? When we were talking about who who wins the award and who won the Ballon d'Or. And we were talking about it and we were like, you can't just give it to someone retrospectively. It can't be like that because it doesn't want to feel like a pity party either. I know they, you know, they're there's still, you know, this level of unbelievable. I think if Lewandowski wins the Champions League, he wins this award. I, I really do. I think this is as simple as that. Um, but ultimately, he has to go and do that. And, and that's yeah. not all about him. That's going to be about, about his team as well and the, and the team around him. And Julian mm-hmm. Nagelsmann getting things right. So there is yeah. a level of this that, yes, obviously, they're going to say about you know pushing it towards individual performances. And I appreciate all of those things. But ultimately, at, at some point, you've just got to you've got to look and be like, when, when can you get this? Robert Lewandowski should have won the award in 2019 right that's that's when he should have won it 2019 2020 2020. sorry yeah the way that that year works the 2020 um that was ultimately when he should have won it the award was removed then last year he was a top two contender and i think it was probably pretty fair you know i thought it was a pretty even battle between him and leo messi um and and he came second 
if he if he deserves doing it this year, it will be because he goes and does it again. And look, that's remarkable consistency in its own right. But it shouldn't be given just because he's des- he's owed one. That's no, not that's, that's fine. Works. That's fine. He's in con- he's in contention for this one, no doubt about it. But can we just give him the twenty twenty one? Yeah, I'm I'm with you. I'm I'm fine, all fine. for all right, it. Right, right, old ground, old ground, old ground. Anyway, there's Lewandowski's case. We move into number two, and splitting two and one is was difficult, and it's going to cause some. Interesting. Consternation, yeah. So, so yeah. Messi or Ronaldo? <laughs> so <laughs> number two, number two is Mohamed Salah of Liverpool. Oh, he's gone for it. Yeah, this is mm. where I've gone with this. His form up until January, basically up until the Africa Cup of Nations, was an absolute joke. We were pretty comfortably calling him the best player in the world on form from September all the way through to basically December. He was absolutely unstoppable. Then we got the AFCON. Wait, he he wasn't that good, to be honest with you. He just wasn't. And his form coming back out of the tournament has been just a little bit spottier than it was. I think he just lost a bit of momentum. It's kind of understandable. But put it into context, um, spotty form for Salah is like five goals in about eight games, right? So those five goals take him up to 28 for the season got eight assists as well for good measure. And he's also won the Carabao Cup and taken some pretty amazing penalties over the course of the two tournaments that he's been involved in so far that have gone to shootouts. So he's in line for genuinely like a potentially monster haul this season. Like Liverpool's quadruple is technically is technically on. And I think it's more well, than I mean, technically on. I think it's very possibly on. Yeah, it's the treble or the quadruple is on. And if Liverpool were to achieve either of those things, it would be stunning. And you can bet as well that Mohamed Salah would be at the forefront of any such achievement. If that's the case, then I think we reassess. But for now, without wanting to reveal too much about number one, and we can start to tackle that in a moment, I have placed him in second place. A bit hesitantly, but that's what I've decided. Yeah, okay, I think it's fair enough. I think people will be will look at it and be like, <laughs> the, the truth is that ultimately this is a ranking that was based on things that are going to happen, right? If if it turns around that Liverpool, the only trophy that they win is is the Carabao Cup, then the, the chances are that Mohamed Salah doesn't win the Ballon d'Or, um, you know, no matter how many individual goals he scores, because it's mm. not going to be as many, you'd assume, as Lewandowski, as uh, Kylian Mbappe, and you'd be looking at a similar trophy hall. So mm. therefore, you know, it, it does rely so much on what's to come here. Um, but yep. you're right in terms of form. There's absolutely no doubt that Salah was the best player in the world this season pre-Christmas, I would say. Um, you yep. know, up to that Christmas break, there, there was pretty much no doubt about it whatsoever. The only player I thought there was anywhere near him was Florian Verts, um, <laughs> who, who funny enough isn't on this list. Um, but it's, um, yeah, I, I think this is, this is a, probably a fair place to put him at this point. Um, yep. But it, the possibility and potential for Salah to go and steam ahead of the competition, I think is probably higher than anybody else because of what Liverpool still could achieve this season. Mm. Yeah, 100%. yeah. Just see, Salah hadn't really spoken either last about last time when he when he finished seventh. I don't even remember that TV interview when somebody asked him his reaction to to finishing seventh, and he just laughed and, and said, 
no comment but um he finally he finally has has given a bit of a response recently um and liverpool echo he said the results were shocking to me i don't have much to say about it but there was nobody who expected me to finish seventh last year that's what happened i don't think there's a conspiracy theory or anything but there may be inaccurate choices and there are many countries who don't know how to vote i have nothing to (laughs) prove that there is something wrong i really don't know but i was very shocked at the result and I guess like what among these changes that you talk about, so the the panel of, of journalists that vote is, it was um, 170 journalists and it's cut to 100. And those 100 journalists are from the highest ranked country in men's football. So hmm. I guess they've eliminated some of that. Not that I imagine there were too many people in countries that hadn't seen Mo Salah play football last year. But, no, um, but there was some very strange voting happening, wasn't there? I think there was a chap in Sri Lanka who was consistently turning heads for the wrong reason with his choices. And yeah. it, and you know what? When you see a Ballon d'Or, the one we went to, Dean, when when um, Lionel Messi won it, mm-hmm. and he won it by like 0.3 of a percent over Virgil van Dijk. Yeah. These margins can be extremely fine. Yeah. And you get a couple of weird ones like that, and it does make all the difference. It, it, sometimes it doesn't, but sometimes it genuinely does. And, and yes, France football have also tried to trim that that voting selection down, which I think is a good choice. Mm, yeah, so that Makes should make it, make it a little fairer, I reckon. A little bit, a little bit. Um, Sam, which takes us nicely into number one, I think. Yeah, number one. and Alexander Karen... Mitrovic. <laughs> Just hit us with it, mate. <laughs> it's Karen Benzema of oh, Real Madrid. Oh, Kareem yeah. the Dream, Mercedes Benzema. He has never finished in the top three of Ballon d'Or voting. He's never picked a spot on the podium. He finished fourth last year, but he's never made top three. And I have a feeling that this could be the year that that changes. And with the evidence that we have to date, well, quite frankly, it simply has to. Um, Brayson and assist on Monday night against Mallorca took him to 22 goals and 11 assists in the league. He is one of the most creative and elegant forwards in the world, plus He's the top scorer in La Liga by an absolute mile, by like eight goals at this point. So he's really enjoying... Juanmi uh, fell ex- off. He's, uh, he did, yeah. Juanmi couldn't keep it up. Actually, second top scorer is Vinicius. So Real Madrid are, are really dominating this one. But he's he's very much enjoying the post-Messi era in La Liga. Um, looks like the best player in the league and is going to win the Pachichi for sure. It was his ridiculous, blistering hat-trick that led Real Madrid to an unbelievable comeback victory against PSG last week. Um, even managed to upstage his good mate Killian over the course of two legs, which is some going considering the first three quarters of how that actual tie played out. But look, Benzema has been the epitome of consistency all season. His team are 10 points clear at the top of La Liga. Real Madrid are going to win La Liga. Benzema is the central point of the attack. They won the Supercopa de España. They keep turning up on those big moments. Probably will do again. They're a legitimate contender for the Champions League. And of all of the players we've discussed, Karen Benzema is the one who has enjoyed the most epic big moment on the big stage so far because that hat-trick can be beaten by absolutely nothing so far. Lewandowski got a hat-trick in the round of 16-2, but it was in a pretty comfortable 7-1 win and two were penalties. What Benzema did was absolutely stunning. So he has enjoyed the biggest moment so far this season that club football can offer. And I think that carries a lot of weight. There's obviously, you can project forward and say that this can continue. He's done the business in La Liga. He's, He's going to win several Copa. titles. Won the Supercoppa. I think I'm comfortable with Benzema at one. I feel a little bit bad for Salah because 
These two, I think, have been the best two players over the course of the season. I think back in November, we were saying if it's not Salah, it's Benzema. I think the last three months, basically, what's happened over the course of 2022 so far, I think puts Benzema in pole position just about. Hmm. Yeah, no, I had, like it. He's had to be so patient, Benzema, to, get, to wait for his big moment. I mean, he's 34 years old now. And his big issue in terms of being recognised individually was that his career, the peak of his career, quite literally clashed with the Messi-Ronaldo rivalry. I mean, he and the moved... Bale, the Bale, uh, and the Bale, BBC. but you look at... Um, he arrived at Real Madrid in, in 2009 and the Messi-Ronaldo domination began in 2008. So Ronaldo won the Ballon d'Or in 2008. Then Messi won it in 2009. And then through to the present day, that was only broken once by Luka Modric in 2018. And every other year, it's been either Messi or Ronaldo. And Benzema just couldn't get into that discussion. Like he's been consistently scoring goals throughout the years. And even in times when people talk about Madrid needing a new goal scorer, he's like, no, you don't need one. I will, I will do it. I will do it. And he has continued surely this is his time because if he doesn't win it this season, he'll never win it. Um, it, But if he's going to win it, I think it's the same thing, isn't it? Real Madrid needs to get to the final minimum, I think. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that's what it is. So minimum semis for sure. But um, yeah, yeah, I'm going to say semis, possibly semis because as Sam says, he's just had the biggest moment in the Champions League this season. That might actually prove to be the biggest performance in this season's Champions League. It's going to take some beating, isn't it? Yeah, no, I'd agree with that. I would agree with that. Um, So a couple of things on that. One, Sam, we got to do some honourable mentions, but two, this is the the first podcast since uh, Madrid won that game on Monday night to send them 10 points clear. And I think it's probably officially time to declare La Liga in a bag. <laughs> bag. Random bag call out of nowhere in the middle of an episode. There you go. We weren't prepared. You were not mm. ready. I'm shocked. La Liga in the bag. Done. Yeah, wow. There I, think, you go. I mean, I think that's a fairly safe call. Ten I points. Le- too, level on could have done that weeks yeah. ago, but you wouldn't do it. Well, I yeah. think I thought if they if they slipped up at the week, you know, on Monday night, seven points, and then they've got a Clasico this weekend, which is a real genuine banana skin with the way that Barcelona yeah. are playing. Suddenly, if they lose those two games, it's back to four points. And Real Madrid have Sam put it really nicely, I think, on Twitter. He, was, he said they're doing what they need to do. Hmm. Every game, they just do just about enough to make sure that they, you know, they get where they need to get. Um, and but I think that 10 points is enough to to clear the clear the rest of that. So headroom clear, Real Madrid in the bag, La Liga, congratulations, Los Blancos. Um, Sam, some honourable mentions. Yeah, I've got six names here that I chucked around in, in, in my own head last night as I was trying to put this ranking together um, in no particular order. And obviously they've all ended up being ruled out of the top five. But these are the ones that I also considered... Trent Alexander-Arnold has been, I think, Liverpool's second best player over the course of the full season. And he's up to 15 assists again and counting. He's been unbelievable. Vinicius Jr. has had a wonderful season. Second top scorer in La Liga, 16 goals in total. And again, very, very good uh, in that second leg against PSG. Very good and better than Benzema in the first half, at least, until he was overtaken by the French steam train. Thomas Muller is having a sneaky, amazing season. Uh, he's he's had three in a row. He's had three <laughs> sneaky, amazing seasons in a row. Um, yes, I'm not exactly. sure we can call them sneaky, amazing seasons anymore. He's been the top assist provider in Europe three years running. <laughs> All right. Not sneaky, just really good. Um, he's verging on 20 assists again, again. For, the, for the campaign. He's going to go over that and uh, it's going to win some titles. So, yeah, Thomas Muller, I think we need to, need to respect him. He doesn't get enough of it. And then um, Sadio Mane who hasn't been, I'd say, at his absolute best for Liverpool, 
but did lead the charge for Senegal to win the Africa Cup of Nations, which has to count for something. Um, also in a down year for Mane, so to speak, he has 14 goals, so not bad. And also kind of looks like he might be perking up again in the sort of central forward role now that he's got Luis Diaz on the left-hand side. So something just to monitor. But Koulibaly as well has been magnificent for Napoli and of course helped win the Africa Cup of Nations. So just chucked his name around again. And I did consider Virgil van Dijk, but I checked with a couple of people that, that, that cover Liverpool a little bit more closely than I do. And I think we all agreed that it wasn't until about November that the real Virgil post-injury started to really rear its head. And he's been unbelievable lately. But the first couple of months, it was a tiny bit rocky in places. And that level of inconsistency when you're coming up against players like Benzema and Salah is going to cost you a little bit. So look, personally, a little bit disappointed that all five of my selections are forwards because you know I like to respect the holding midfielders and the centre-backs and all that stuff. But I couldn't really get away from it this year. I tried, but I couldn't. It's interesting that you've got no Man City players in that 11. Um, they are top of the Premier League yeah. and they are on, not on course, but they still have a very potential treble going on. Um, they cruised into the you know into the last day of the Champions League. They got to the final last year. They'll feel that they're probably maybe the strongest side left in the competition. Um, but everyone keeps sharing things out, which is a bit mad, isn't it? That's the thing. That's the thing. I like what, who's like the number one performer? Probably I mean, yeah, and I don't I think I, don't think I was yeah. quite comfortable getting those guys in here. They weren't they weren't quite there. I think Pep even said the other day in his presser, I, I didn't read the reasoning behind it, but there was there were articles written about Pep Guardiola, why Bernardo will never win the Ballon yeah, d'Or. Yeah, it was basically like, lack of goals. Yeah, it, like, uh, it's just the way it is. It kind of is. When you're looking at numbers at these monstrous levels, the sort of stuff that, that Benzema is, is scoring and Salah, like it is difficult to get away from that sometimes as much yeah, as look, you want to respect the other parts of the game. Weirdly, it's almost easier for a defender to do it because you can be like, look at all the clean sheets. To call yeah. the, you, you can kind of make this for a midfielder, especially one of Bernardo's mould, who kind of does a bit of everything. Mm. Um, it, it's very difficult, but yeah. I, I do love the man and I do hope he's in the top 10. One of the things you haven't really taken into account, because you can't really, because you don't know how exactly these these 100 people will vote, is, is bias, right? People will still vote for Messi and Ronaldo based on bias. Now, there's no foundation on which to vote for Messi right now. You, you, you really can't. But Ronaldo, like as we record this, I don't know, Man United play Atletico Madrid tonight. I don't know how that plays out. Say Ronaldo scored two tonight against Atleti. Man United are suddenly in the latter stages of the Champions League. It's not implausible that Man United get to the latter stages. Ronaldo has a couple of worldies between now and the end of the season and is still at least on the podium for this. Like That is worth a mention, I think. I think so. I mean, again, the, the new guidelines are trying to dissuade voters from taking into account glittering careers and really only focusing on the, the season's work. And the performance levels, Ronaldo hasn't been at his glittering best. I think we can all agree with that. But he's just scored a magnificent hat-trick against Tottenham. I don't know what happens tonight, but Atletico Madrid are his favourite victims. So you never quite know. And we'll, we'll, mm -hmm. I guess we might, we might look back and laugh at this or we might look back and, and nod sagely mm -hmm. at this these comments. But yeah, there's room, there's room for manoeuvre in this list. As we know, the next two months are the most critical. But this is the scene set as it is as we stand. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I'd agree with that. Um, right. On that note, we're going to end this middle segment and get on to our final one. Don't go anywhere. Welcome back to Rags FC. It's time for everybody's favourite part of the week. Dean Jones, all yours. It's time for Melon of the Week. And this week's Melon of the Week is 
PSG fans. They are absolutely absurd, these people. What are you doing? What are you doing? At the weekend, oh, fans no. inside the Parc de France booed Messi and Neymar and to some degree Pochettino. This was their reaction to PSG's defeat to Real Madrid. They waited until they had them all back at their own stadium for a league match. They even jeered when Neymar scored a goal. I don't know if I've ever heard that before. It was absolutely ludicrous. Pochettino looked really angry. Um, Messi kind of got on with things and played actually one of the best games I've seen him have for PSG. Neymar's Neymar, just kind of pretend it's not happening. But it wasn't a fleeting moment. It was a vibe that completely overshadowed the game. Afterwards, Pochettino said we were all effective, affected. Um, I just found it mad that like they're targeting these players so venomously. Um, look, have Messi and Neymar underperformed this season? Yes, they have. Um, Messi scored seven in 25, I think. Um, Neymar's got like five and three assists. But... Let's face it, why are they playing for PSG? They are there because they pay them an extremely large amount of money. There is no, like, Messi didn't grow up dreaming of playing for PSG. The PSG didn't even exist until 1970. And to be honest, I don't think they were taken that seriously until about 2012 when they started dominating the French League. Well, so that's potentially a little bit harsh. In the 1990s, PSG had Rai, they had Ronaldinho come in. They won, I think they were in Europe for four. So you think Messi might have dreamed of playing for PSG? No, I don't. But I think that Neymar might have because Ronaldinho and Rai were there. Mate, I grew up in the 90s and 2000s and nobody was talking about playing for PSG absolutely guarantee you of that look is the league a high quality it's all right but it's not nothing compared to the premier league and la liga these players are there because psg are throwing millions of pounds at these players to go there messi had no choice there was no barely another option for him so he had to go there and play football because he had to leave barcelona and i understand the frustration of the fans that they can't take that extra step they can't make it to the champions league final that they feel these players just aren't the players they can be at their very best but there's an ingrained reason for that. And it's the way that PSG are trying to build towards that success. They're trying to buy it by putting players together that aren't ever actually going to work in the same unit. PSG have no divine right to win the Champions League. Look, I understand. You can make you can make your feelings known. Let them boo for a bit at the start. Fine. Don't boo their names and then boo every time they get the ball. It's just not on. I, and I, then boo I the goal. Think, <laughs> I think it's a bit weird. What I, what I, I don't mind the fans being annoyed. And I actually don't mind them... I don't think there's anything wrong with them thinking, trying to make a point perhaps to, you know, the people higher up in the club that this is not the the way that they want to go. This is not the way that they want to see the, you know, the club run. So I will appreciate that in some ways. Perhaps they're saying, you know, this is not the method that we want to see from our uh, from our Paris. And look, PSG fans, you know, say what you want about them, are incredibly loyal, incredibly loud, and uh, and make an incredible atmosphere at the park. Um, you know, whether that be them being a new club or not, that it, there is a credit to be due to to some elements of this fan base for the noise they make. Now. What I found a bit weird was that they didn't boo everyone. Messi and Neymar, for you know, for the fact, all the fact that they weren't brilliant against Real Madrid, were not the key problems. The key problem was that Marquinhos had the worst game I've ever seen from anyone, and everyone else panicked because their captain was having an absolute, you know, shocker. They didn't boo Donnarumma. They didn't boo Marquinhos. These are the players who wrecked it. You no, know, Messi and Neymar 
you know, for the fact they didn't have the best games in the, of their lives, were actually incredibly effective for, for lots of the game against Real Madrid. They were for not 70 the minutes, those two were very good. This the is problem not the is reason they, they fell they, apart. But they did go totally missing when the game was on the line, when you needed oh. a bit of a, a bit of a personality to shine through, when everything was on Mbappe. the line, it was all or nothing. Um, Mbappe was the least offensive of the three. And I, but I agree, generally, the front three kind of went missing. And I did notice, I did think like, why aren't they impacting this game? Why, why after the third game, third goal for Real Madrid, why isn't this all PSG? Why isn't this an onslaught? Where are these guys' personalities when they need to stand up and make it count? Why aren't they Luka Modriching these last 20 minutes? And that is the difference. And again, I understand frustrations. I also understand that all humans are emotional and potentially somewhat irrational <laughs> like people when it comes to football, when our emotions get the better of us. And give them a round of booze, cool. When they were stood over that free kick, it was deafening. That was about four minutes in. <laughs> I just find it unbelievable that like you can disrespect like particularly Messi that much. Like he's never been booed like that in his career ever. If, they, like, if they're underwhelmed with his season and what he's put down at the park, I can understand. He scored yeah, two league goals. He, he's he looks like he just wants to play like he's using it as match fitness for Argentina you can't escape those those kinds of as I say um, he doesn't want to be there we all know that like, we've known that and since that, day one but that's 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 disrespecting the club A that club, you love yeah right I don't know maybe it's a it's an interesting one. Uh, I, I think there's a there's a fair point to be made somewhere in there. I'm just not sure where it is. Um, it, it's just PSG fans were melons. There's two complex well, discussions in melon of the week. Yeah, maybe <laughs> it is. Maybe it is. But I'm, it's I'm very I'll, simple. I'll accept. I'll accept it. Don't get me wrong. I, I think it's fair enough. I just um, I just think that there, there's. I can understand why people were so so upset with with what gone down because of mm. of the way that it all it all came out. Um, yeah. So so yeah, I can accept the that. accumulation of failures it gets the better of you mm, absolutely okay so usually i would say that is the gibberish alarm but actually it sounds like more me trying to pronounce words in spanish this weekend <laughs> so um, i'm gonna do that uh, right we're returning to seville um and i'm gonna do a gibberish today because sam's had a lot of work on his plate trying to work out that ranking um uh, Doff my cap, sir. Um, I'm going to talk to you about a very specific, very specific element of my trip to Seville. Um, and this is related to maybe my favorite food in the world. I think my favorite food on earth might be croquetas de jamón, right? Okay. Um, croquettes, basically, that you seem to only get in Spain. And they are basically just like deep fried little things of, of ham and sort of a white sauce. They're absolutely delicious. Some people use potatoes and some people use different things. Um, I'm going to rank for you the three best croquetas de jamón I had in Seville. Now, I can tell you as a kind of preliminary here <laughs> that I had at least 14 different croquetas de jamón across the four days I was in what? Seville. <laughs> um, yeah, got really heavy, put on two kilos, purely croquetas. Um, <laughs> And so I'm, I'm going to rank the best three that I had. Um, we, we looked at lots of different things. Uh, I'm going to start uh, in a nice little a little place we stopped for lunch called Bodeguita Romero. Um, and it was just off the big cathedral in Seville, the third biggest Catholic cathedral in the world, I'll have you know. Um, but the Bodeguita Romero was absolutely wonderful. We took shelter from the rain there. It was absolutely pouring on it the Friday. Rained. I didn't think it rained in Seville. Well, nor did I. But um, everyone told me that the rain in Seville is a wonderful thing. This is something that they, they say, apparently. They're not from um, England. 
Well, no, I Lucy translated <laughs> it for me, thankfully. Um, but um, no, but we don't think rain's wonderful because we have it all the bloody no, time. No, basically, the, the because Seville is so hot, rain is actually quite useful. Um, so they yeah. like it when it rains. So, but it absolutely, it didn't just spit; it chucked it down on the Friday over there. It was almost like thunderstorms and hail, and uh, it, it was it was different. Uh, but anyway, we took shelter from a shower uh, in the Bodeguita Romero, and they had very very good croquetas. A bit more potatoey um, than, than perhaps you used to. I, I do normally like them when they're quite liquidy, quite wet. Uh, these were a little <laughs> bit more. These were a little bit more solid. Perhaps it was the rain around me that made me really like these ones. Um, Remind but, uh, me never to recommend you for a food critic role. <laughs> I like my croquettas wet. Wet. Well, I mean, look, to anyone who's had croquettas, they'll know what I mean. Because I lots, of you croquet- mean. lots of croquettas are way too, they're way too stodgy. You don't want yeah. that. You want them yeah. liquidy and fresh. Um, but these ones were actually slightly more uh, potato-y than I'm used to. But I think maybe it was the rain around, the atmosphere, lovely little bar. Um, just some very, very good croquetas with a nice dip. Um, actually, the best thing we had in the Bodeguita Romero was the bacalhau, um, which is like salt cod. It was with like a tomato paste um, on, on bread, and it was beautiful, oily, fresh, real nice. Um, but their croquettes isn't, came Isn't that third. like Portuguese? Abacalhau, it, it, I think it's sort of Iberian, would mm, okay. be the phrase I juice. Uh, I believe that it kind of shares common traits within Portugal and uh, Spain, southern Spain okay. especially. Um, but yeah, third in my croquetas ranking, Bodeguita Romero. Second... Um, was a restaurant called El Paseo. Now, this was a really nice place. There was uh, a man called William, who was the waiter. He was from Southampton. He spoke... man named William Carvalho. Well, honestly, well, William was speaking away in Spanish, and I was like, wow, that man is Spanish. And then suddenly he came over and he was like, what? And I was like, sorry, what? (laughs) 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 Uh, So William was an interesting character. Um, It it was fun. Um, And and Lucy kept calling him Guillerme, which I think was probably quite fun for him as well. Um, But yeah, the... Well, this is the thing. The the croquetas at El Paseo were so wet. They were they were like when you bit into them, they kind of went everywhere. You had to put them all in your mouth at one go because it's sort of like an explosion of flavor uh, and taste. But they were amazing. Uh, a little bit later, a little bit smaller than the ones in Bodeguita Romero, but ultimately just a, a really good croqueta. Um, but the best croqueta I had in Sevilla was a place called Restaurant Doña Encarna. And... I'll be honest with you, lads. I didn't want to go into this restaurant. I had no interest in it whatsoever. It was on the main square underneath this mad structure called Setas, which is basically like this gigantic mushroom in the sky mm-hmm. um, in the main plaza, which is supposed to, it was designed a couple of years back. It's supposed to create shade in the hot summer months. It's like a gigantic fungus in the in the main square. It's nuts. It's frankly quite amazing. Um, but I didn't really want to eat in the main square because I found, you know, over the course of my, my travels of the years I've gone, you don't tend to want to eat in the main bits. You want to go off a couple of side streets to find best places are better but anyway we went in because we were really hungry and we hadn't found anywhere that we wanted to go in that wasn't absolutely rammed um so we were like right we just have something small here and then we'll move on and we'll, we'll find places throughout the afternoon in in the typical tapas style um but anyway they said they had a famous croquetas on the menu they say they say just famous house croquettes and i was like well we'll see about that my guy <laughs> anyway <laughs> We did see about that. Lucy and I went back there three times. <laughs> That's how good the croquetas were at Doña Encarna. Um, we were literally on the way back from having dinner and we were like, 
Shall we just stop for the croquetas? Like, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Amazing. Um, you know, wow. most people, when they go traveling around st- and stuff like that, they after dinner, they're like, do you want to stop for an ice cream? Do you want to get a waffle? Maybe if you're yeah. in Paris or if no. you're in Belgium, do you want to stop for some cheese and ham? <laughs> <laughs> just croquetas. Deep just croquetas every day. Um, so yeah, there you have it. My top three croquetas nice. de jamón in Sevilla. Um, oh, it was a wonderful trip. A they wonderful good. trip. Absolutely. Oh. Right, on that bombshell, I think we're going to have to call this a day. <laughs> uh, and all that's left for me to do is say thank you very much to Sam Ty. What a wonderful ranking that was, my friend. Cheers, buddy. Thank you very much to Dean Jones. Cheers, mate. I've been Jack Collins. This has been Ranks FC. Thank you so much for listening. We will be back with you next week. Take it easy. Peace. Croquetas de jamón. Croquetas de jamón. Croquetas de jamón. Purely croquetas. Croquetas. Lots of croquetas. (laughs) Just some very, very good croquetas. I mean, look, to anyone who's had croquetas, they'll know what I mean.